It's crazy. These people. Do you ever get excited about something? You know, something good goes, yes, yes, man, I got it, yes. You ever get like that? Some people will change. Some people refuse to change. Listen to that. Some people will change, and some people will refuse to change. And you know what? It's your choice. Don't blame somebody else. Don't put on that sour face. It's your choice. That's what it is. We don't want people to be copycats, but we do want people to get excited about God. And I tell you this. You get around God's place and God's people and God's word and it's presented in a healthy way, God will encounter you to change. God is a God who transforms. He tells us in His word, He transforms. Now listen to me. Will you change or will you stay the same? It's a choice. And He tells us in His word that He will transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You will choose allow God to change the way you think, or you will stay the same. Now listen to me, you can't stay the same. If you don't let God continue to transform you, you tend to hit a ceiling, and then you start sliding back. Then you got to get close to God again, and He starts bringing some change into your life, and you say, I'm not going any further, you hit a ceiling, and then you start sliding back. And some of you people know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not making this up. I'm not having to be a motivational speaker. I'm just telling you the reality of life and the relationship with God. God wants us to change. And so you're here at Connection today. I'm the lead pastor, Mike Davis. I'm going to take the Word. We're going to get to the Word. And if you pay attention, I don't care if you haven't been in church for years or if you were in church last week. Look at the word. God is going to seek to change the way you think. He wants to transform you. He wants to bring change into your life. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Back part of your Bible. Front part of the Bible is Old Testament. Back part of your Bible is New Testament. Just look to the right. First four books of that New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All the biographies of Jesus. They're stories to help us understand the person who has changed history. And everybody, other people are going to tell you, oh, there's a lot of religious people, there's a lot of religions. First of all, they haven't studied anything. Let me tell you, there's a lot of religions. There's not. They're going to tell you, there's a lot of religious books. They haven't studied sacred scriptures. There's not. And in the Bible, the first four Gospels tells us about the man who was God's come to earth and changed all of our history. He's the Him. And so we got to meet Him. And that connection, that's all we talked about. Getting to know Jesus, learning to live and love like Jesus. If you looked on your worship handout you were given on the front page, it says we exist. People connection. We exist. Okay? To connect with God's heart, hearts of others, Becoming friends with all people as we live and love like Jesus. So that's the change we're going to be presented with today. 
In Luke, the 17th chapter, if you got your New Testament, it's page 67. If you don't have a Bible, and I encourage you to bring your Bible, because I'll ask you to underline, circle, mark things, so that when you read passage six months from now, a year from now, if you'll look at the underlying part, it'll help you understand the entire passage. And some of you have told me, many of you, it's just amazing when we talk about this, have told me you do what I say. There's a page in your worship handout, and you fill out blank, you fill out the blanks, you take the scripture, take your Bible, look later this week, you read the scripture, redo the thoughts, look at the underlying parts, and I tell you to underline, you'll have another relationship with God. And he'll begin changing you. So I want to encourage you, and if you don't have a Bible, we have New Testaments are out in this room on that small table on the west wall, and they're free. Just take them, because we've been in Luke, okay, for over a year. We're through the 17th chapter, and so probably we'll be in Luke until Jesus returns. <laughs> no, he, he's going to have to return sometime before the early 2014. I hope we're done with them, okay? But... Uh, We'll be in Luke for a good while because I'm trying to bring it alive as we look at the person of Jesus Christ. And so a little bit, we're going to look at that, okay? My question to you this morning is how do you respond to God? How do you respond to God? So we're going to think about that. But let me say, first of all, thank you for coming and being part of Connection this morning, okay? And uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate how you work with the Parkers, and, and all that, okay? People park cars. I'm so thankful for those guys out there. I don't know if there's any gals out there. I want to thank you for coming and being a part of this. Of course, if this crowd continues, we'll go to a second service. If this house would have been filled, I would announce next Sunday we're going to have a second service. I already had that set up with my worship leader, and we were going to just wait another service. And we'll do that. Somebody asked me, are you ready to build? Listen, Connection is not in the business of building churches in the sense of wall, bricks and mortar, or stone, or pole barns, or whatever you want, okay? And the church can meet anywhere, okay? We have the problem that it can't do that, okay? And we could build back here if we want to, and if that was in God's plan, okay, we will start another campus somewhere. We're not here to grow connection up, we're here to grow the kingdom of God out. So I just want you to understand that. So if you're here and you think, boy, this is exciting, we're going to build again, I'm telling you, we'll start a church, we'll just do another service. Okay? But we don't have a packed house, so I'm not going to announce that. Okay, But uh, we'll find out next week. There'll be other people come. And next week there'll be new people come. Probably three or four weeks we'll find out what our crowd's going to be and uh, what we're going to do from there on. Just so you, everybody don't, does not come and ask me that. I just appreciate you being here. See, I know some of you are like flies at a picnic. When the food's gone, you won't come back. And that's what it's like today for some of us. We just come and we want to see the sweetness, the cleanness, and all the fun, okay? And uh, and that's not anything derogatory, it's just the way we're made. I hope you change. I hope today what you will do is you will stop and think, you know what? Maybe I ought to give God some time in my life. Maybe I ought to give Him a place. Maybe I ought to take time. Somebody asked me, are you excited today? I said, this is just another Lord's Day. Somebody said to me, it's your show. They're in this building, so I'm not lying. I looked him in the eye. I turned. I sort of side to side. I looked at him. I said, this is not my show. This is God's show. I'm like you. I'm serving God. So I want you to understand what's happening right now could have continued happening at the primary center. Okay? And so if God doesn't show up, this building means nothing. 
it means nothing. I just want you to understand that. We're not about a building. Hey, come and see our new church. No, come and experience our church, is what we ought to say. Our people. See? Because we're the church. This is not the church. Okay? And so I appreciate you sharing with us this day. It is an exciting day to be here. But I want you to understand, we're seeking to experience God today. And I hope you do. And I hope He challenges you to change. Will you change? Some people won't change. It's a choice. And it's your choice. If we go any further, let me leave us in prayer. Just bow with me. Father, I thank you for where I stand. I thank you for the book I have before me. I thank you for the challenge that already has been given to us in song. And God, I pray today that all that takes place would be to your glory and would help us understand what you want for us. And God, help us. Help us that we do not allow our pride our thoughts to get in the way of your thoughts and your ways. May your spirit help us to understand what the scriptures have to say today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, how do you respond to God? Do you sort of ignore Him? Oh, you know, you wouldn't dare say something bad about God. But how do you respond when he encounters you? And you can believe the Creator created you. Look, there's nothing in this world more important to God than you. He said from the very beginning, in the first book, the Bible, he said the most important part of his creation were people. And he created people as image bearers. That's what we are. We are image bearers. And what happened is we sin. And because we sin, and we sin today we sort of cause problems to that image. I want to get angry. I want to hate. I want to look at pornography. I want to, to, to indulge in, in things that put my body out of control. We sin. I, it's my opinion. I can say what I want. I don't care if it hurts you or not. See, we are prideful. And all of a sudden, we go around saying, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And somebody looks at us and says, that's the image of Christ? You're the image of Christ? I wouldn't even want to go to the church you go to if you're the image of Christ. We're broken people. And so what God does, because He loves us, and we are His image bearers. We are made in His likeness. And you keep coming to connection, you'll hear me talk about that. It's not a time to recover that subject. We are His likeness. And He is always trying to transform us. I'm Henri, you're Henri. I'm caught up by my issues, my compulsive behaviors, and so are you. And God loves us. And He's always seeking to encounter us because He wants to bring a transformation to us. Because He wants us to walk around in our families and say, Christ is my Lord. And our children and our maids will look at us. Our grandpas, our uncles, our brothers, our sisters will say, I like what I'm seeing in you. You're never going to be perfect. Sin's always going to be encountered in this world until we go to be with Him. And when you go to work, when you go to work, God wants you to be the image of Christ. That's why we talk about living and loving like Christ. Where you live, where you work, where you play, people begin saying, I don't like what I see in you. 
Not because you're perfect and you don't sometimes get upset or sometimes do the wrong thing, but because they see in Christ there's a difference. I'm going to tell you, in America, we're the third most lost nation in the world. We have sent missionaries all over the place. We've given our money. But you and I have forgot that I am a missionary in my family. I am a missionary where I work. I have another job. I am a missionary where I play. And it's not somebody else's job to show people what Christ is like. It's me. It's me. And it's you. How do you respond to God? Well, what we're going to see today is we're going to see how people respond to the grace of God. The kindness and the love of God. And so if you have your Bibles, they're in Luke 17, okay? Verse 11 is where I'm going to start. We're going to put it on the screen. You'll see it, okay? I'm going to start at verse 11. Now listen, I've got to explain something because there's a lot of you. Some of you, you just come to be with family. I realize you're not coming back, but I'm reading now the New Living Translation. Okay, not the King James, not the new NIV, the New International Version. Okay? Now, this is the best study Bible. If I was going to tell you to get a study Bible, I'd tell you to get the English Standard Version. It's better toward the original language of the Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek, and Aramaic. Okay? But it's, this is easy for people to understand who do not carry a Bible. And I'm not looking for church folks to come to connection. I'm looking for folks who are not involved with God. Okay? And this is easy for them to understand. So that's why I use it. So please, if you leave and say, yeah, but I don't like his translation, it's because it's easier to understand. I'll explain the difficult parts. I'll, I'll impress you with my intelligence by saying, the Hebrew said. <laughs> okay? Okay. So let's look at the 11th verse. Luke 17, verse 11. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, and I've got to say something here. The, the passage, the nine verses we're going to look at, deals with two other things that are much more important. Though this is very important. But here, it's a side statement. Jesus, Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem. Jesus is determined to go to Jerusalem, folks. Since chapter 9, verse 52, Jesus told his followers, I must go to Jerusalem. We have been told this three times. That Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And he's going to Jerusalem because he's going to go there and he's going to be ridiculed, he's going to be beaten, and he's going to die. Okay? That's what he's going to do. Now that sort of causes you and I questions. Why would God allow that to happen? Because God ways, if you were here a couple sermons ago, his ways and thoughts before us, and we like to take him off his throne and say, I'm God, I've got to explain it all. God said sin is our problem. And Jesus is going to Jerusalem and He's going to die. He's going to die on the cross of Calvary. And it's through His death, His giving of His body and His blood, that my sin is forgiven. That takes faith to believe based upon the fact that Jesus said it. Now, folks, if it's not true, so I said, well, I don't know if I can believe that, then Jesus is a liar. And if He's a liar, He cannot be Savior and Lord. I just want you to understand that. So if you dismiss that, or somebody out there dismiss it, they're telling you, Jesus is a liar. And He's not a liar. And I would challenge you to get to know Him. I challenge you to keep coming. See His character through the book of Luke. Or go home and start reading the first gospel, I mean, first chapter of John. And slowly go through the gospel of John and meet the character of Jesus. You will wish your mate was like Jesus, that character. You will wish your children would grow up and be like Jesus. You will wish your neighbors were like the character of Jesus. And that character will tell you he's not a liar, he's not a deceiver, 
He's not a manipulator. Okay? He's a mobilizer. He knows we are broken people. Only folks who try to hide that. He knows we're broken and he wants to help us because we are to be image bearers of our Father who created us. God, Jehovah. And so he's going to Jerusalem. Okay? He's determined. And I want you to understand, when he goes to Jerusalem, he's not a victim. When he goes to Jerusalem, he does it voluntarily. Jesus goes to Jerusalem for you. You've heard it said. If everybody else was not, if there's nobody else on this earth, he went to Jerusalem for me. He's not a victim. He's giving his life. Now, see, you say, ah, what do you know? You're 2,000 years removed. Listen, a man that was just removed a few years from Jesus wrote this. Look on the screen. Just for the sake of time, so you don't turn your Bible. 2 Corinthians 8 9. It's, on, it's listed in your worship handout, so you can look it up later. It says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, that means He was God, He was Creator, He was all-powerful, everything was His. Though He was rich, yet for your sakes, human beings, because He so loves us, don't let any dad, mom, uncle, pastor tell you you're no good. That you'll never amount to anything. You are not junk. You heard that. God doesn't create junk. You are special. Of all God's creation, those trees aren't special like you are. Animals aren't special like you. You see, people who don't know that will tell you that trees is important to you, the animals is important to you, the flowers are important to you. Now take care of the trees and the animals and the flowers, but they sure add salt and pepper to good taste and experience. Are you following with me? But you are important. Don't let anybody tell you you're not. So he who was rich became poor. See, for your sake, it says. Because God wants you to be His image bearer. He wants to bring transformation. He doesn't want to manipulate you. He wants to mobilize you to be the kind of man He created you to be. He wants to mobilize you to be the kind of woman He created you to be. Listen, don't hang around with God's Word and God's people. Pretty soon you're saying words you shouldn't be saying. You're looking at pictures you shouldn't be looking at. You're thinking thoughts you shouldn't think of. And your pride will say, Yeah, I can do it if I want to. Will you change? Some people won't change. It's your choice. God's going to encounter you. But it goes on. Yet for your sake he became poor, gave up his position, didn't use his power to call the angels, looked like the humans were in charge. He became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. He could help you experience all the potential God created you for. See, Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem because he's a victim. He went to Jerusalem because he loved you. It was not easy for him to go to Jerusalem. When we get to that part of Luke, you'll hear me talk about that. It was not easy for him to go to Jerusalem. But by faith, now listen to that, because we'll talk about that. But by faith, he's determined to go to Jerusalem. Okay? He's going to take, listen, he's going to take the journey of faith and go to Jerusalem. And as Matt, the worship leader, when he preaches, he said Jesus was a rock star back then. Don't have time to talk about that. He was. People just gathering around him, walking miles to see him. And in all that, he never forgot what God's purpose was, and that was to get to Jerusalem. Okay? And so, he took that journey of faith, because he knew this. At the end of the journey, now listen to me, it's important to understand these, these verses. He knew that his father would be there 
to meet him. And when he dies, he knew that his father, God the Father, would be there to raise him. By faith. It hadn't happened yet. By faith. People making fun of him. By faith. He takes that journey. If you got your worship handout, there's a page in there with some blanks. I want you to look at the first blank of that worship handout. Look what it says. Fill in that blank. Never forget that God will always be there at the end of the faith journey. You've got to remember that. Man, I'm running out of time. I don't know if I can serve God. Man, I've I got to escape. I don't know if I can be where God wants me to be. My money's getting low. I don't know if I can give where God Okay. So he's saying, I knew you were going to talk about money sometime. We don't even pass the play. People give money, just put it in that box back there. We did for, I think, the first year, nine months, and we said, why pass the play? We just put it back there. That's God's business. But you see, sometimes you want to say, I don't have enough. I can't give for God. See, whatever it is, money, time, energy, never forget that God will always be there at the end of the faith journey. That's why we do these things. By faith. You do it for any other reason to impress me, to impress yourself, to impress your mate. It's not faith or God. It's what you can get to make Mike Davis say, Man, you're a good person. Get your mate to say, Wow, you're a good mate. Okay, never forget. God will always be there at the end of the faith journey. Well, let's go on in verse 11. Look there. It says, He reached. The border between Galilee and Samaria. Now I notice some of you are reading ahead. You're not going to catch this. Slow down. I'm going to go through it. I've only got nine verses. When it says Samaria and Galilee, it's telling us something. He's going to meet two kinds of people. Okay? It's almost like if you go down to Massac County and you got Illinois and Kentucky. Two kinds of people? If you've ever been there, believe me. Lord, I moved to Tennessee. You had some Illinois and Tennesseans. Two kinds of people. I love Tennessee, okay? I love Tennessee. But I'm telling you, he's trying to say, two kinds of people. There's Galileans. Okay, I don't have time to do the demographics. I did it before. Or the geography. The Galileans were considered good Jews. And then there's Samaritans. They're considered not so good people. Galileans, good people. Samaritans, not so good people. Samaritans ethnically, racially, not accepted by the Galileans. Galileans are good Jewish people. They can identify with people in Jerusalem. People in Jerusalem identify with them. The Samaritans, they, they wouldn't even worship in Jerusalem. They had to get their own place to worship. Okay, so you got Jesus here meeting two kinds of people. You got to meet people who society would consider good people, the Galilean Jews, and then you got people who are half-breed Jews, the Samaritans, and they're not considered very good people. That's important later that you understand that, okay? The Samaritans were considered the outcasts. They had too many tattoos. People without tattoos didn't want anything to do with them. They had too many piercings. People didn't have piercings, didn't want anything to do with them. They used vulgar language. People who didn't use vulgar language didn't want anything to do with them. They'd go to the bars and they'd drink too much. People who didn't drink at all didn't want anything to do with them. You see, they were the outcast of society. They were the people that couldn't get over their anger issues. They were the people who couldn't get... Now, please, I don't know if the Samaritans were like that. Okay? I'm just telling you, in their society, they were looked down on. Some of you know that that's what some people would do to you. you got people accepted in society and people who are outcast in society. And Jesus is there. Verse 12 says, As he entered the village there, ten lepers 
stood at, the, at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Okay? Leprosy would be considered a very contagious and terrifying disease. I wish I had time. I don't. But if you had it, you would slowly begin to see your, your hand become numb and your flesh rot and your finger literally fall off. Your nose, which one day you just rub it and it fall off. Terrible, terrible disease, okay? And a leper, now here's important. That's why Luke's telling us this. Gosh, I want to tell you about Luke. Okay, this is only written 29 years after Jesus lived. This is not written 2,000 years after Luke is talking to people. Luke never walked with Jesus. Luke is talking to people who knew Jesus, who saw Jesus. Okay? Luke is being paid, apparently, by a man who's wealthy at the very beginning, verse 1, verse, I mean, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. He's writing to a man named Theophilus. Don't name your kid Theophilus. Theophilus, okay? okay? Of course, if you're really spiritual, you'll name him Luke Theophilus. <laughs> I'm looking for Luke's parents. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, he tells the author, I am carefully, now listen, if you got it out of the Greek language, it's very effective. I am not just telling you what I have heard. I am carefully talking to people, investigating things you and I have heard so that you may know they're true. 29 years after the fact, he is checking this out. There's people who were shepherds in the field when the angels sang. There's people who went to Jerusalem and saw baby Jesus. There's people who say, yes, I saw him die on the cross. And that's the only way. Listen, in human history, I, I've taught at Rin Lake. People, I can teach things in history at Rin Lake that has less evidence, written evidence, than what we know about Jesus. But you can't teach it because it's called religious. And so this is very important. And so he says, he talks about these lepers. <laughs> lepers could not do anything to help themselves. Once you were declared a leper, you're unclean. You have to be separated from society. You can't live with your family. They would find caves. They would live out a distance from the people. Lepers could not help themselves. They couldn't go to a doctor and say, can you heal this leprosy? That came years, hundreds of years later. A leopard was a person with no hope. I can't get through this. I can't get over this. My anger, I can't stop it. My, my, my desire, my compulsive behaviors, I can't stop them. See, a leopard had a problem. They couldn't do anything about it. And when they would walk among, if they were walking down the road, many times they would, they would sew bells on the hem of their garments. See? And when they walked, those bells would, would jingle. And people knew, here comes unclean lepers. Because they didn't want those lepers to touch those people. And the people didn't want to be infected. Or if they didn't have the bells, they had to holler out, unclean, unclean, when a group of people came. To warn the people so the people would go on the other side of the road. See? Could you imagine a thousand times a year having to say, I am worthless, I am worthless, I'm no good, don't get near me, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. They wouldn't say they're worthless, but they knew what they felt. And you know what you feel because society has labeled you and it offers you no hope. These were ten men with no hope. They could not help themselves. They were captains. 
their problem. They were ridiculed. You could hear the people like, <laughs> matter of fact, listen, those good Jews would say, God doesn't even love you lepers. You know how we know? Because if God loved you, you wouldn't have this problem. People who have a problem are forsaken of God. Oh, gee, and I'm afraid we teach that in the church. I'm afraid some of you carry that attitude. Some of you are so snooty because you're self-sufficient. You can pay your bills. You can live in a nice home. You can drive a nice car. And if you want to travel, you can travel. You can go buy pizza anytime you want. You can eat ice creams. But you know what? You put other people down because you don't get around them. You don't help people with their problems. These leopards are those kinds of people. They've had problems. Nobody no one seems to care. So what do they do? They shout. You know what it says? Verse 13. Crying out. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I mean, they can't get close to him. They can't, you know, they can't come in and say, hey, could you help me, Jesus? Society would have stoned them. They got close. Let the shout. Jesus! We can't help ourselves! As hard as I want to go home to my family, I can't! Jesus, help us! And some of you heard yourself shout to God. Alone in your car, tears coming down, alone in your room. Your heart's breaking because your mate doesn't understand. You're trying, but you can't help yourself. Your parents, they just disassociate, but they say, what's wrong with you? That's where these people are. That's where you and I get. Look at verse 14. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, I want you to see important progression right here. Okay? Go show yourself to the priest. Very important. Jesus doesn't heal them. He doesn't heal them. He says, I want you to go to the priest. You see, because the leper that is healed has to go to the priest, and the priest has to examine the leper and declare they're clean. Then that person can re-enter society. They can go home to their family. Jesus doesn't heal them. He tells them to go to the priest. So before the healing comes, they want what Jesus has to offer. Now listen to me. So do you and I. Some of you have heard God promises Jesus loves you. Before they can experience that personally, Jesus just tells them, do what I say. Go to the priest. We just want you to do it our way. Heal me. See? Jesus says, here's what you do. I'm going to call you to action. This is the action. Listen to more of just go to the priest. I'm going to tell you folks, some of you people want to be healed. You want your marriages better. You want your families better. You want to be obedient to your parents. You want to learn to get along. You want, you want to work with others. And this book is Jesus saying, I call you to action. Do what it says. But you do first in me, then I'll do what it says. No. He says, listen to me. Go to the priest. Just do what I say. See, that's a faith journey. There you go. Jesus said the example of faith journey. He calls them to the faith journey. In other words, before they can see the result, they're asked in faith to just do what Jesus says. 
And for many of us, listen, man, listen, fella, your life can be transformed and you can be totally changed from what you hate. But you've got to begin the faith journey. You've got to listen to the words of Jesus. And look at verse 14. As they went, they were their letters. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Do you hear me? That's stupid. I go to the priest, I look like a fool. Just go to the priest. No way. I don't want to do it this way. You know that first, that video? <laughs> that guy says, they want me to sing. Do you know the Bible commands all God's people to lift their voices? God doesn't say you have to be able to hit a C or an F. He says just shout or lift your voice. Matter of fact, he uses the word shout too. We talked about but you see, you've decided you're going to do it your way. Some will change, some won't. I'm not trying to get everybody to sing. I'm just telling you. You see, you can say, I won't. The beginning of the faith journey is to hear the words of God, because Jesus is God, and take the step. And once they took the step, look, it didn't even take very long. Once they went, I don't know, I'd say not very long. Maybe they had to get to the edge of the synagogue or wherever they were going to see the priest. Maybe they had to walk five miles. Maybe they had to walk five steps. But it says, as they took the faith journey, my words, they were healed. And I just know this. I didn't get into my compulsive behaviors of anger, worry, and control issues. I didn't live those six years in rebellion to my parents. That didn't just happen overnight. That was a journey that got me there. And I know, and my wife and my kids can tell you, it was a journey of faith brought me to where I find victory. And they had to take that journey of faith. And that's important to understand. You see, in verse 3 and 4, earlier, what we looked at last week, Jesus said, you are to forgive. Now listen to me. He said, you are to forgive people seven, at least, at least seven times a day. Some of you out of trouble forgiving your mate, forgiving your parents, forgiving your children, forgiving that person at work. He says you are to forgive people at least, a person, at least seven times a day. You mean to tell me they lied to me and you want me to forgive them? You mean to tell me they used me and you want me to forgive them? You mean to tell me they cheated on me? I mean, they sexually cheated on me and you want me to forgive them? You mean they took my money and you want me to forgive them? You mean, you mean he abandoned me and you want me to forgive them for abandoning my dad? He stayed in my home, but he just left me. Disassociate. You want me to forgive my dad? You mean, you mean he abused me and you want me to forgive him and he abused me? I want you to listen to Carla's story.
There are many ways that God has touched my life, but I want to tell you about an incident that happened to me. I was touched inappropriately by a close family member. At first, I was not sure what was happening, and I thought all little girls lived that way. I started going to church with my neighbor, who would pick me up and take me to church every Sunday morning. I began to realize that God loves me and had concern for me. I was so afraid of this man that there was no way to get him out of my life. When I was nine years old, I started praying that God would remove this man from my life. When he didn't, I began to wonder if God was listening or if he had turned his back on me. I tried to avoid being alone with this man. I would beg people to go with me or let me go with them. But you see, they trusted him. He was an upstanding man in the community, and everyone loved his generosity. I was living in Ivan. I tried to fight him off, but he was too strong for me. And if I resisted, he would beat me. I hid my bruises from everyone because I was so ashamed of what was happening. I started spending the nights with my girlfriends from school, and I noticed their relationships with their parents was much different than mine. I never told anyone what had happened because I thought it was all my fault. I wondered how I could ever become a Christian or accept Christ into my heart since I was so unworthy of any love. God continued to remind me in many ways that he loved me. At the age of 12, I did turn my life over to God, and I chose to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I thought all my troubles would be over, but I was wrong. I kept praying for a miracle or a way out. I began blocking out everything that was happening to me. When this man had come in to me, I would imagine myself in a faraway land and become lost to this world. It helped me to get through the ordeal. It became so frequent that I began to think about taking the man's life. I thought I could just stab him to death. It might be worth going to prison. Then I remembered what I had learned at church. And one of the commandments that God gave us was, you shall not kill. I even thought of taking my own life and ending everything. But again, I realized that God would not want me to take my life. God is the giver of life, and he wanted me to live. When I was 18 years old, I met the man I married at age 19. He was sweet, kind, and very understanding man. When he asked me to marry him, I thought to myself, how do I explain to him that I lost my virginity against my will? I wanted to be pure for the person I married, but it just could not happen. We worked through it together, and with God's help, I've come a long way. All those years of thinking God did not love me or care about me were in vain. I now know that God was there with me every step of the way. He cried when I cried. He carried me when I was too weak to walk along. When I thought I didn't have a friend in the world, I realized that God was the best friend I could ever have. God is with me every day, helping me heal, 
A few years ago, my husband and I were in church one Sunday night when I felt someone gently touch my shoulder. I turned to my husband and asked if he had touched me, and he said he had not. Then I heard a soft, quiet voice say, I love you, and always have. I knew in my heart that God was that voice. I forgave the man for what he had done to me many years ago. I had to in order to move on in my life. On his deathbed, he asked me to forgive him for all he had done. And I told him I'd forgiven him many years ago. Even though I hated the thing he had done, I loved him with all my heart. I realized that God gave me this power to forgive and move on with my life. God offers this power to each of us if we receive it from him. Thank you. What if, if you're a person and you're a young person and somebody is doing that to you, you need to tell somebody. You need to tell a teacher, you need to tell a pastor, you need to tell the police. Okay? And maybe you're a person who's done that to someone, okay? And you need to make amends to that person. You need to apologize to that person. Okay? You need to find a support group. You're not trash either. It's a wrong behavior. It's a wrong thing to happen. Both people have potential. Excuse me. But what I want you to understand is you say sin occurs. It occurred in Carla's life. Somebody says, I wish God would just wipe away all sinners so sin wouldn't happen. Guess what? If he's going to zap all sinners, we're all going to die. That's right. Because we're all sinners. We're all broken people. So what God does is he seeks to touch us and change the way we think and help transform us to be his image bearers. And what you heard in Carla's story, you heard the tragedy, the crisis, the awfulness, the ugly. But if you listen, you should look at the beauty. You should look and see that God worked in this lady. She took that journey of faith. She didn't shut him out. And God was there at the end of that journey in regard to that problem. In that situation. And God will now use that to help others if they will hear what Carla is saying. Carla did what Jesus said. Carla forgave, just like Jesus said in the early part of this chapter. Now I use that illustration to say about these lepers is that they were told by Jesus to go to the priest. And they took the journey of faith. All ten of them did. Not one of them was obstinate. Not one of them refused. And they took the journey, and somewhere in that journey, somewhere in that journey, they were healed. Wouldn't it have been interesting to be with them? And the first guy that took two steps was healed, and the other nine looked and said, hey, what happened to you? And of course, you know, if you're a doubter, you say, I'm going to stop. It didn't happen to me. But if you're listening, Jesus said, go to the priest. You say, I'm going to preach. And you take another half a mile, and it happens to somebody else. And you're thinking, hey, that happened to me. But Jesus said to go. It would be interesting in how it happened. We don't know. But it took the leap of faith to take the journey of faith. Before the evidence is there, Jesus tells us things we are to do. If you have your worship hand out again, look at the second blank on there. Fill it in. Spiritual healing in your life. Now look what it says. I wrote this down. Will not occur. Until you are willing to step out by faith. 
and do what Jesus says. In that last sentence, you do what Jesus says even before you see the evidence. Before you see the evidence. God, if you change my life, of course, it would have been the other way. Because I was the problem. Laura just prayed. She wouldn't even argue with me, with my anger. After I got to a place that we could talk about it years later, she said, I'd just get away and I'd pray. She could have said, God, if you change Mike, then I'll start not retaliating. She just did what Jesus said. She hears me say constantly, now that we're over, I'm just trying to pay back what you gave when I didn't recognize it, God. See, before you see the evidence, you take the journey. Well, look at verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, okay, somewhere on that journey, this guy sees he's healed. Can you imagine this man's feeling? He's walking along and, I'm healed, I'm healed. Oh boy, I can go home. I can see my wife. I can touch my kids. I can go home to mom and dad. We can have a barbecue. Oh man, can you imagine his feelings? I want to ask you, what would you have done next? Would you have ran home? Would you want to hug that baby? Would the baby have priority? And you know that's true. How many of you, let's just be honest, the baby has priority over God. How many of you? How many of you? Your mate has priority over God. How many of you? Can you imagine that guy? I'm healed. I can go home. I can be with my family. I can touch people. But what does he do? Look, look. It says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking Him for what He has done. Instead of saying, I'm healed. Man, I'm better. I'm going to go. He turns. Two things about this story that Luke is telling us happened in Jesus' life. One is, you've got to take a journey of faith before you see the evidence. And God will show up at the end of that journey. The second is, you need to show gratitude to God for the good things He's doing in your life. This man realized the good, and instead of first going out and enjoying the good, he made sure he conveyed to Jesus his appreciation. Came back and he shouted, praise God, and he fell to the ground. See, that's worship at Jesus' feet, thanking Him for what He has done. Some of you have good health, and you stop worshiping Jesus, and you take that health and you enjoy it somewhere else. Some of you have good money, and you stop worshiping Jesus, and you take that money somewhere else. Some of you have good family, and you stop worshiping Jesus, and you take that family somewhere else. Some of you have great intelligence, and you take that intelligence somewhere else, and you stop worshiping Jesus. You see, so many good things have happened in our lives. So many good things. But we have forgotten what God has done in our lives. Have you refused to say thank you to God? That you, your car even started this morning so you didn't have to walk the connection because I know all of us would have walked our car wouldn't start. <laughs> Have you didn't thank God? Listen, I back up my drive and I'll find myself at times saying, God, thank you. I tried to get in one of the cars this week and I had a flat tire. You like having flat tires? It intruded on my schedule. I thank God for the people that fix flat tires. 
Have you refused to thank God for the good happening in your life? Have you stopped? Have you went so far of not just refusing? Your mom and dad puts food available to you. And you stop thanking God. What do I got to thank God for? Have you stopped refusing? Have you come to the place you've stopped? Have you come to the place that you've pulled away? Oh, you thank God. But hey, God got His thanks. And now you've pulled away and your life is all about you and your gratitude is not ongoing. Look at 16. It goes on. This man was a... Do you remember what kind of people they are? They're the outcasts. Not the good folks. Not the self-sufficient folks. Not the folks who can get by without God. The outcasts. To look down on. This happens for our persons. Listen, I'm going to tell you. I don't know what somebody's told you that you're, you, you're stupid, you have no potential, you're garbage. Don't hang out with those people anymore. Find somebody like one of our connection men and women and let them give with you weekly and mentor you so you realize the gratitude you ought to have toward God. The man who turns around is not the man who you'd think would turn around. He's a Samaritan. And God wants us to, He wants to make sure we understand it's the person who looked like he had no potential who shows the gratitude. And I'm going to tell you, I've worked... For many years with people with compulsive behaviors. And I've seen people who found victory over their alcohol, over their compulsive drives, over pornography, over trust issues. You ladies know what I'm talking about. I've seen them and they just worship God in a way that people who go to church every week never worship God. Because they're so thankful. But you know, maybe you didn't have any of those compulsive behaviors. Have you pulled away and stopped thanking God that you don't have those? Every day you ought to thank God. And you say, well, I'm not going to get excited. You know, when you pull that camper up next to your camping spot, you get out and you say, hey, honey, isn't it great? <laughs> no, I know. You get out and you're, you're making what's wrong. Oh, I just don't get excited about things like this. You know, when I was a kid, what they called you? Liar, liar, pants on fire. Look at 17. Jesus asked, did I heal ten men? Now, isn't this funny? Who's he asking? The man who's grateful. See, we would say, you know, you're preaching to the choir. Is that how we say it? Yeah. Why is Jesus preaching to the choir? Because he wants the man to remember this. He wants the man to remember God's grace is coming to his life. He wants him not to forget because we so easily forget. We so easily forget. Didn't I heal ten men? You ought to underline the next five words. Because every time you read this, those five words all remind you, are you one of those nine? He says, where are the other nine? Every time you read this, you ought to stop and think, is that me today? Am I one of those nine? He goes on in 18. Has no one returned to give glory to God except, look what he says, this foreigner, the one you wouldn't expect, 
And what he's trying to tell us is, don't get caught up the way the church does it. And you've got to be able to say all of the verses. And you've got to have perfect attendance and think that's the only way to come to God. He's trying to say God's grace is available to all. And I gave it to ten people. And apparently the other nine were the Galilean Jews and one was a Samaritan Jew. And he says, is it just this foreigner that returns? Aren't they as grateful? And I ask you, are you not as grateful? Do you lift your voice? Do you come with excitement? Or do you look at your man and your parents and say, do I have to go again? i got to do this every Sunday. This is a penetrating statement that he asked, where are the other nine? And we're going to see now two different responses to God's grace. Okay? Two different responses to God's grace. Jesus is asking the question, where are those others who have been blessed? And Jesus is saying, do they not glorify God for their blessing? Whoa, I'm healed. Dad, Dad, let me hug you. I'm healed. What happened? Oh, that guy Jesus did it. I'm healed. Oh, son, I'm glad you're home. Let's, let's, let's go out and work on the car. Oh, Junior, come on, sit on my knee. I'm healed. Daddy. What happened? Where'd you go? Oh, I had this disease. But I'm telling you, that man, Jesus, help me. Son, let's get the balls up and play ball. I coached the team. What? I got to put God on hold? God can wait. What? Jesus would like me to come and tell my story? Oh, Jesus can wait. Son, God gave me you. He wouldn't want me to put you second. See? Apparently, listen, do you look at them? Apparently, they wanted what Jesus had to give. They just didn't want the intimate relationship with Jesus. Do you hear me? They wanted, you think, you think God doesn't see us? The Bible says God knows our thoughts, our heart. He's not looking at how much money I put in the offering plate. He's not looking at how many hours I spend here at the church. That's what the Bible says. Bible says he's looking at what I think. <laughs> and apparently a lot of people want what God can give them. They just don't want a relationship with his son. They don't want to hear living and loving like Jesus. Sort of reminds me of the time a Vermont farmer was sitting on the porch with his wife. Okay, good wife. And he was he was beginning to realize how valuable she was to him. And he should. I mean, for 42 years, she'd been married to him. And, and, and she had helped him. You know, she's the woman that brings the tea when he needs the tea. She's the woman that fixes his plate when he needs to eat. She is such a good wife. And he's realizing that. That one day on that porch, sitting together, he said to her, Wife, you've been such a wonderful woman. There are times I can hardly keep from telling you. God, you're a great God. Sometimes it's hard for me. I keep from telling you. I'm telling you every day. You ought to be thankful. When you start that boat, make sure you took time for God. When you go to that ball game, Make sure you don't forget God. You see, we don't want to be legalistic about this. It's not this location. You have to be every Lord's day. But every Lord's day. And then all those days in between those Lord's days. Don't forget God.
Penetrating question, where are the other nine? Every time you read this, that ought to be the question you ask yourself. Who am I? Today, am I the Samaritan? Am I the one to return? Or am I with the crowd? And I'm going to tell you, it's always the crowd. When I walk in and I see other Christians doing something, am I grateful? Am I help? Or am I part of the ones who say, not me? I'm going to do it my way. You see, I'm going to get excited about this missional stuff. And that's what kind of church we are. And we're only missional if our people learn to live and love like Jesus. Where they live, where they work, and where they play. We're not missional if we walk in here. Look at the last blank on your message, man. Satan loves to see individuals whose lives have been touched by God ignore or forget to demonstrate gratitude for what God has done. Do you realize when you are one of the nine, the devil's going, that's my boy. Hey, girl! We're on the same team. You see, we would read this real quick. These nine verses would be done in just a few seconds. From now on, when you read it, I want you to stop that question. Where are the nine? And is that you? Now look at verse 19, the last verse. Look what he says. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, and I would encourage you because this is the part about the faith journey again. Underline the next five words. When he says, stand up and go, he says, he tells him the conclusion to what happened. See, because that man's going to have to tell his son. That man's got to tell his dad. That man's got to tell his friends. Wait a minute, we haven't seen you for some time. What happened? Well, that man Jesus healed me. No, no. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. You see, God knows our thoughts. And he knows if we have faith. He knows whether I'm self-sufficient and God's a sideshow in my life or God's the main show in my life. He sees my faith in Him or He sees my faith in me. Jesus said to this man, I said, go and see the priest and begin a journey of faith. I want you to know, it was the faith in what I said that healed you. And today, as, as, as we think about this, and every time you read this, stop thinking, I show gratitude around one of the nine, and will I take the journey of faith today? When you read it, the day you read this, probably the day or the season of your life, God's asking you to take a journey of faith. Before you see the result, obey what Jesus said. What's the reason the man was healed? Jesus said, it's his faith. He heard Jesus speak, and he did what he said. Will you? Today I invite you, by faith, to do what Jesus said. Now some of you say, I don't know what Jesus wants me to do. Then read one of the Gospels. Hear His words and just, just don't worry about the rest of the book. Just live by His words. Come to connection. Hear the book of Luke. And learn to live by His words. And you're going to blow it like I blow it. But if you just hang out with Him, He'll talk to you about when you blow it and get you back on the road. Today I invite you, by faith, become involved with God's people. Today I invite you, by faith, 
become involved in God's Word. Today, I invite you by faith. Take the journey of faith and say to God, I'm going to be in worship next Sunday. And if you're just visiting today, that's okay. You go back to your church and you by faith tell God, I'm going to be in a regular to help the church. Today, I invite you through a connect group. You can see we have connect groups in here. I invite you to go to one of those and let God begin to change the way you think through His Word and the relationship with those people. You see, that's the journey of faith. You say, but I don't do those things. Gee. Jesus wants us to do those things. By faith. Not an obligation. By faith. Today, by faith, decide to make the choice to change. And that's how we begin this message. Are there any questions? No questions. So let's bow together prayer and then we're done after I say amen. Father, I thank you for this time with these people and with your word. I thank you that in this journey we have been encountered by your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you help us to remember some of what we heard today when we go to lunch. And tonight, when we're with other people. And tomorrow when we go to work. Father, help us we might be people who would let you transform us by changing the way we think. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>